Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Uh, ready for the new year next week? Or actually, I guess it's technically this week. Uh, this week, this Sunday, we are going to take a look at a single topic this morning. In preparation for next week, we're going to start a series in the book of Judges, which uh, with 21 chapters, I believe, in the book of Judges, you're looking at... Uh, more than 21 weeks. So at the beginning of the year, if you like reading ahead and finding out where we're at in a sermon series, start reading in the book of Judges, and we will uh, be looking at that verse by verse starting next week. But this week, I thought we'd look at the really big topic and subject of being an example and an ambassador to the world around us, and specifically in the church itself. Now, I'm not quite sure who said this because this quote is attributed to like 10 different people online, so I don't know who really said it, but the truth remains. It definitely is valid for us to think about and consider, and that is the quote, be careful how you live, you might be the only Bible people read. Now, we take for granted reading scripture, or at least we should take for granted in our lives reading scripture, but some people even though they may not own a Bible, uh, they really only know maybe John 3.16 because they see it, or they know the Lord's Prayer, or they know Psalm 23. And that's pretty much it. And um, we have to realize that as believers, we may be the only truth that people see from God ever in their experience and in their life. And so how we live how we treat others and how we treat others in front of other people really becomes valuable and important because we are representing God to the world. And that is, if that doesn't scare you, then tell me what your secret is because that terrifies me, that the way I drive. That's one of the reasons why I don't have Christian bumper stickers. It's because if I have one of those fish on the car, I, maybe I should, because that would force me to uh, um, drive a little bit more circumspect on how people view me. But those type of things, people notice and recognize, even if you don't have to proclaim to them every day, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, they're going to notice it. And so we are ambassadors, and people see us every single day. And it is a high calling being a representative of Jesus Christ. It's nothing to take lightly. It is indeed very serious that God calls us to that task, that we are ambassadors. In fact, I have a list of scripture that I'm just going to read through and kind of just pepper at you. And if you want to write them down, all you have to do is look in your YouVersion Bible app under today's message, and you'll have all these slides. So I'm just going to go through these quickly. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And that should be true of all of us. All of us should be able to say, you want to know how to live as Christ? Look at my example. Whew. Serious. Look at my example. In 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul says to Timothy in particular, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. So Paul defines what it looks like to imitate Christ. Do these activities in your life and let people notice it in such a way that they should imitate it. Now, people will imitate any kind of behavior. You want to provide them with behavior that is Christ-like. And Paul says, here's some examples of what to do. In Titus chapter 2, verse 7, Paul says, Show yourself in all respects 
to be a model. Now, he's not talking about the runway fashion models. He's talking about representing Christ in all respects, how you speak, how you treat others, how you drive, how you wait in line, how you deal with bad customer service, all of that. How you deal with someone getting your order wrong at a restaurant, how you deal with that, how you respond in that, demonstrates and speaks Scripture to the people around you. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul just simply, simply says, you are ambassadors of Christ ambassadors of Christ. What a high calling God has placed in your life. That when the world sees you interacting, it is as if they are seeing Christ interacting with them. What a high calling. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, the writer of Hebrews says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Can people look to you and say, that is the kind of faith I want to imitate? That they are never unwavering in their faith. That they are never unquestioning in their faith. That they are always not just loyal to God, but faithful in such a way that they are an example of faithfulness. Do you want to know faithfulness? Look at so-and-so. You want to know with someone who knows how to deal with disappointments and depression? Look at so-and-so. You want to know with so how to deal with someone whose life doesn't go the right way? Look at so-and-so. Their faith carries them through every single step of their life. Are you an example of faith to the world around you? In 1 John 4, 11, 12, and many more, there are passages that talk about you need to example love. Love is a big motivating factor in our ambassadorship to the world, showing love. Love does not mean showing acceptance, like I accept your sinful behavior. That's not love. Love is speaking the truth with compassion, standing on truth as a standard of right and wrong, and being compassionate in the way that you do it, not being judgy towards people, but demonstrating what truth is and how God leads them into that truth. And, of course, we know in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes into several different discourses in which he says, you are salt and light. You are like a city set up on a hill. People notice you and recognize you and associate you with what a Christian is supposed to be. And there are times where our message is not the same as our actions, Right? There are going to be times where our, where our testimony doesn't match experience. And those are beautiful opportunities to share with the people around you that yell at you, hypocrite! You say one thing and you do something else. That is a beautiful opportunity for you to experience humility and to admit you're right. My actions at that moment did not example Christ. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Wow. See, they're not expecting that. They're expecting you to justify your behavior, right? They may be expecting you to simply deny Christ and say, you're right, some of that's just nonsense. Oh, you pick and choose what scripture you want to follow, how to act and how to behave. You just pick and choose? No, no, no. You're right. I was wrong. I was in the wrong. 
that speaks volumes to how God forgives, how God is merciful, and yet you stand on the truth, but you realize you're right. I am a hypocrite, and you can assign every other sin to me as well. I know I'm a work in progress. I don't go to a palace that's perfect. I go to a hospital for sinners called church. And so you're right. You're going to find things in my life that are not spot on. But it doesn't matter. We still have to live as salt and light. We still are examples to the rest of the world. There also is a unique example in Scripture of an ambassador, of a leader, of a model that has a very specific title in the church. We're talking about the New Testament church in particular, and that is the title of elder. Elder. And that word elder is translated and used many different ways in the New Testament and almost used interchangeably at times. And so you may have heard words of elder. You may have heard of something called a ruling elder and a teaching elder. That's just really just two different parts of the same type of coin. Uh, But you may also have heard of priest. Uh, We're not talking about Roman Catholic priest uh, uh, because technically, technically, according to Peter and the whole Old Testament, basically, every believer is considered a priest. All right? Not just the office of priest, but all of us are considered priests. And that was one of the really big, I told myself I wasn't going to get sidetracked, but that's one of the really big reasons why the Reformation took place and Martin Luther stood up against Rome and said, no, there isn't just a select group of people called priests and bishops and archbishops and popes that can talk to God. All Christians are considered the priesthood of believers. All of us have a connection with God, not just certain people. Uh, But sometimes in Scripture, they're called priests. Sometimes they're called overseers, bishops, and presbyter. And they're just titles used for that unique example of leadership and model within the New Testament church with the title of shepherd also used as pastor or minister for a specific ordained role of elder. So, as a pastor, myself, I'm also considered an elder. It's a little bit different because my main job and responsibility is to teach and to do that as my profession, not as uh, someone who's a lay person who comes in and just kind of volunteers their time in that role, but a little bit different and unique. And so, in Scripture, we have two main passages that talk about the dynamics and importance and qualifications of serving in that very unique role of elder, one who is a bishop, overseer, um, shepherd, minister, pastor, as well as um, presbyter. Eighteen very unique parts to that. And before you um, think to yourself, oh, Tim, you're talking about elders today. Um, That doesn't concern me. I'm too young. I'm too old. Uh, I'm not the right gender for it. Only three of the 18 qualifications are specific to just elders. The other qualifications are for all of us. So let's not just check out and say, oh, this isn't for me. I know God hasn't called me to be an elder, so I don't have to pay attention to the next 20 minutes. Only three of them are very specific to elders. The rest of them are supposed to be part of our character all the time as believers, all the time. So only a few are just for elders. Now, there are two very good things to keep in mind as we approach this topic. 
The first thing to keep in mind is that um, uh, God is not after perfection. He is after competency, mature competency. There is a difference between perfection and competency. Olympic medalists, gold medalists, like are perfect. Everybody else has a level of competency. There is no one that has lived a breath of life besides Jesus Christ that has ever done anything perfectly spiritually. Only Christ is perfect. Only he is perfectly honest. Only he is perfectly loving. Only he is a perfect teacher. Only he is perfect in his leadership. Only he is perfect in his wisdom. We can have competency in that area. And elders have a mature competency, but never perfection. God never asks you to be perfect. He's asked Christ to be perfect on your behalf. Christ brings perfection. We don't bring perfection. So as we look at these 18 qualifications, these 18 marks of what God says makes a good leader in the church, an example to follow, they're not perfect. They're not perfect. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for good competency. So, someone who's practiced in this area, who's not brand new trying to figure it out, but someone who has lived life in a way spiritually, and they've got experience in doing it. There is a great difference. Being in my home, we have a couple permit drivers who are learning to drive. There is a great difference between permit drivers and people who have been driving 20, 30 years, right? Right? There's, there's a naturalness. Oh, I know how to do this. Oh, I can do this. Oh, and, and sometimes it gets us into trouble who have driven 20 30, 20, 30 years because we no longer think through the basic steps of when do I put on my for the stop sign? How long do I wait? We have to kind of remind ourselves sometimes because it's so natural, so second nature. But when you're learning to do it, every little matters. Now, which pedal is it? So God is looking for someone who has competency in the area, not brand new in it and not perfection. The second thing to keep in mind is it's just as important to know what God does not say as well as what he does say. Because there can be a lot of human additions, actual human extra requirements. I was uh, not part of a church, but I knew a church uh, in the past that one of the requirements to be an elder believe it or not, was they had to have a full-grown beard. <laughs> have you ever seen me try to grow a beard? There was a phase, I don't know, a year or two ago, where uh, I grew a beard. Um, any of you remember that? Oh, was it bad, right? And I want to thank all of you for not laughing at me in front of me, you may have laughed on the way home, that's fine, but at least you kept that laughter out of my face. I, I cannot. It, my genetics, it's absolutely genetics. It's not that I don't try hard, but it is really, really bad. If there was ever someone who looked like a homeless guy who didn't shave, it was definitely me if I don't shave. It's really, really bad. But this church required you, required you to have a full-on grown beard. Why? 
Oh, they said elders have beards. And I'm, I'm like, wow. I mean, I mean, I know I've read through this more than once, but I've never, ever, ever seen where an elder has to have a beard. Ever. Culturally, yeah, they probably had beards because it was a pain to shave every day. That's the reason. Not because there was anything special about being able to grow a beard or not a beard. And there are a lot of other things people attach to what you need to do or have as a quality and be an elder. Some of my favorite are, well, you know, they own their own business, so they must be pretty smart. They should be an elder. Really? Well, again, nothing in Scripture about being smart or a business owner. Oh, they have a financial degree. They should be an elder. Um, again, Scripture doesn't say that. Tim, they have been in the church for 20 years. Don't you think it's about time for them to be an elder? Maybe, but Scripture doesn't tell us how long they need to be in a church in order to be an elder. They could have been here one day, and they are amazingly qualified. Or they could have been here 50 years, and they are never qualified. The length of time someone is here does not equal they should be an elder. And sometimes that's associated with they have done so many things around the church. Don't you think we should reward them with the office of elder? If you've ever served in the office of elder, it's not really a reward. (laughs) It's painfully hard and challenging and like herding cats time and all you hear is the bad stuff you rarely hear good things so you have to be pretty at dealing with criticism and complaining not really a reward there's other things uh, you know I've had people who've told me uh, you know they were an elder in another church so they should be an elder in this church well that really isn't a qualifier um, Anywhere in Scripture, if you've done it before, you're qualified to do it again. And, and there's just lots of other things. Lots of other things. You know, I, I've had, uh, well, their father did it, so they should be able to do it. Or they've been a good deacon, they should do it. They volunteer a lot, they should do it. They tithe a lot, they should do it. And somehow this is just like a medal you win somehow, and you put around your neck and you wear it with pride because you're a winner. Never in Scripture is it ever assigned those type of things. So not only is it important to look at what Scripture says, but it's also important to realize what Scripture doesn't say is necessary to be an elder. I think in my experiences, the very, and and no one knows who this person is, but the very best elder I have ever served with, ever served with, was a guy who never went to college, worked a manual labor job his entire life. He was maybe from the outside one of the roughest individuals you could look at and go, wow, should we let him into church type of look. But when you got this guy to pray and when you got this guy to go one-on-one with someone in the hospital or someone who was in need, that was the elder I wanted with me. And I served with guys who had more theological education than I had as a pastor. Smart people. 
people who were executives at Fortune 500 companies, wealthy beyond my, my expectation ever in this life. But the one I wanted to go with me every single time to a hospital visit was this guy. Totally not what you would expect, but he matched the qualifications better than anyone I had ever served with in my entire life. So, let's look at these qualifications. And again, I said it's in 1 Timothy 3, as well as Titus 1. And we're only going to look at this really quick because out of 18 requirements, there is no way I'm going to be able to give um, the time due to every requirement unless I do one a minute and we'll get through it. Uh, so in 1 Timothy chapter 3, now remember, the book of First and Second Timothy, Paul, the apostle, specifically writes to his protege, to that young guy in the faith that he kind of nurtured and brought along with him on missionary trips, Timothy, who is a brand new young pastor who doesn't have much experience except Paul. Timothy never met Christ. He was too young, but he grew up in a Christian home. His mother and his grandmother were faithful followers of God and believers in Christ. So we grew up in a Christian home, got experience with Paul, was not educated, and was not a Roman citizen. Paul was. He had a lot of disadvantages going into being a pastor, but Timothy was called, and so, passed. so Paul writes two letters to him as encouragements to help him through this process. And in this process, Timothy is by a church by himself, and he needs help. He can't do it himself. He can't do it himself. And so Paul says, you need to have elders. And Timothy, we haven't talked about this before, but I'm going to tell you what to look for in a man who can serve right alongside of you as an overseer, as a bishop, as a presbyter, as a pastor, a minister, an elder. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, he starts by saying, Here is a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer, or elder, same word, desires a noble task. So it is a good thing. It's not a penalty or a bad thing to think in terms of, has God put me in this role? Has God shaped me and fashioned me in such a way to be in this role? It is a good thing to think about. And Paul says it's a good thing to aspire to. We should all be striving to live holier, to love more, to forgive quicker, and to be better in our speech and attitude. God calls us all to that. So we should all aspire to be the best salt and light at that moment, the best Bible people can read through our actions. All of us should aspire to that. But Paul says specifically, this role, it is a good thing to aspire to it. And then he goes on to explain. Now the overseer is to be above reproach. That's for all of us. We are to live in such a way that someone could look at us and not place blame and not go, hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. But they should be able to look at us and go, I can't really find any fault with how they've lived in front of me. It doesn't mean they're perfect. But as far as the world is concerned and my friends are concerned and my family is concerned, the way they behave on Sunday morning is exactly how you get them on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Thursday night and Friday morning and on vacation and on their day off and when they're waiting in line, when there's a traffic jam, when the order got wrong, they're the same, above reproach. And that is for all of us. Then he says, 
is still in verse 2, faithful to his wife. Faithful to his wife. The beautiful thing in, in Greek is that the word means a one-woman man. That's the actual definition. That this man that God has called to be an elder is a one-woman man. Now, there are multiple ways in which that is interpreted. In Calvary, which is consistent with lots of other churches, that means it is a man who is not divorced. Now, that doesn't mean a divorced man can't be, because there are qualifications there, but generally it's understood to be this is a man who has been faithful to his wife. Faithful to his wife. Secondly, or not secondly, but even more, um, temperate, meaning that he's not pushed to and fro, that his temperament, his, his attitude towards life, he's neither hot nor cold. He doesn't fly off the handle. He has control. You have control of your emotions and your passions. You can be passionate. You can have disagreements. You can have arguments. But it never crosses the line of being abusive, scary, or dominating. They're also self-controlled. A lot of these, you'll notice, all kind of combine into the same type of character. And I think I could, we could easily just blanket all of these qualifications to saying the person needs to be holy. Because holiness covers all of them. But Paul goes, I know it's hard to say sometimes you need to be holy. And that somehow solves the riddle of, but specifically, what do I need to aspire to? What do I need to be like? How do I judge between one and another if it's just holiness? And so that's why Paul is very specific with Timothy. Here are really some clarifying things that you can look at, and one of them being self-controlled. Another one being respectable. Now, depending if, you're not, depending if you're reading through the NIV or a different translation, these words are translated from the Greek, and they can have lots of different flavor and meaning. And so your translation may have a completely different word in here, but it's going to have the same sense of it. It's the same definition, just maybe a different word. Respectable. So this is a person who you know right away when they speak, when they engage with you, there is a sense of, they not only respect you, but you have a respect for them. Doesn't mean you have to call them sir. Doesn't mean they have to be older than you. You just understand that when they speak and they engage with you, it's done in a way that is noticeably respectful. They care about my feelings. They care about my opinion. They listen. They're attentive. They understand. They seek to understand before they seek to speak their opinion. They seek to understand. Uh, hospitable, real simple. They're very welcoming. It doesn't mean they have to open up their home and have a lavish feast for you, but this is a person that you know is approachable, that you can sit down with them, that you can have a conversation with them, that you can talk to them, that you can relate to them, and, they, and you know you're going to get nothing but receptiveness. They're going to be receptive to you. So it's not only they're willing to give you a glass of water. They are but they're also just very approachable in how you can talk to them. Uh, I'm sure you have met people in your life that maybe you don't dread talking to, but you know when you talk to them it's going to be an awkward conversation because they're just awkward to talk to. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe family, who knows? 
may be awkward to talk to. This is not that type of person. This is the type of person where you feel welcomed and engaged in, kind of right at the very beginning. You still need to get to know them, I understand that, but it's very welcoming, it's very easy. You can talk about hard things and not just sports stuff or weather stuff. You can talk about real hard things and you know that you're gonna get a receptive ear in that conversation. Very hospitable, very helpful. There are also, and this is the qualification that's very specific to elders, not only being a man, but being able to teach. That is a really big subject, able to teach. What does that mean, able to teach? Does it mean that the person has to be able to stand up in front of the church on a Sunday morning and take over Pastor Tim's spot when he is sick and preach a 30-minute sermon that engages you, still has some funny jokes, but the application is spot on? Well, it doesn't say is able to preach. It's able to teach. Teaching most often happens in our lives, outside of a school setting, one-on-one. Someone goes, I don't understand that. Someone who is qualified to take this role of an example to you is someone who can sit down with you and share with you, hey, you've got a question about prayer? This is how I go about it. It's almost like a discipler. Someone who's able to take a topic and a subject and an action and disciple you help you through that process. So being able to teach does not mean they can host a Sunday school class and talk for 35 minutes. It can include that, but teaching also includes I can take a subject or a question, engage in that topic, subject and question, and work someone through what God has to say. And all of a sudden, everyone can be a teacher because you have taught people something whether it's teaching your kids how to tie shoes or whether how to be polite or how to to speak. We've all taught. Specific to the role of elder is someone who is skilled, mature at that. Not preaching publicly, but at least someone who is able to teach and communicate God's truth in a way that helps you understand. And again, we kind of are all called to do that. We're all called to disciple and encourage one another that way, but specifically to the role of elder, someone who is competently mature at that task. And so that may mean, hey, I've got all these other qualifications, but man, I, you know, I I can teach you how to fish, but if you ask me how to pray and lead me through scripture on how to do it, I'm at a loss. What a great thing to practice then. What a great thing to learn. What a great thing to study. What a great thing to put as a goal that you would become good at communicating how to pray. So there's ways to improve that. Another one, not given to drunkenness. Now this should go without saying with all the other qualifications at the beginning, but you can't be a drunkard. You can't be stoned out of your mind. You can't be addicted to drugs. You can't be drunk on alcohol and think... I still can be an elder. Just like you can't still be a good witness and ambassador of Christ if you're living like this. No-brainer. Applies to all of us. The next one, not violent but gentle. Again, it applies to all of us. It applies to how you act and treat others in a heated discussion. 
Do you yell? Do you swear? Do you go punch something? Do you clam up and become silent and give everybody the silent treatment? Now, while that might not be overtly violent, we know it's passive-aggressive anger. And Paul says, the one who leads you, the one who you follow as an example in the rule of a church cannot be like that. Not violent, but gentle. Doesn't mean they can't have heated arguments, but you don't get scared of them. I've had conversations, biblical conversations, with people who are Christian, who are elders. And there's a moment in that heated argument where I was scared of this guy's physical presence and pumping of his chest and approach that I felt I'm going to have to defend myself. That's not the kind of person that God calls to be an elder. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Same kind of attitude. Uh, You've probably had relationships with people, certain people, and I'm sure that the person's going to come to mind in your mind, where if you told them it is a beautiful sunny day out, they would say, yeah, but it's cloudy. Okay, but the sun's out. Yeah, but, you know, it's cloudy. And the fact is there's clouds, and so the fact is it's not sunny. Well, you know what I mean. You're going to need sunglasses because the sun's going to hit you as you're driving. Oh, no, 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 there's clouds. Yes, there are clouds, but they will argue over anything and everything because they need to be right. That's not the quality that we need as believers, to be right. Newsflash. Newsflash. And you might want to write this one down because this should be a headline. This should be a slide. I don't know if you can make this a slide real quick, but here's the newsflash. You, and I'm speaking to you, you are never always right. Wow, I I was looking for some amens or something. (laughs) The person next to you, and maybe this is where I'll get the amen, the person next to you is never always right. Amen. The person in front of you is never always right. Okay? So that means we have to be okay in working through personal differences of opinion in a way that's constructive and helpful. We're talking about communication 101, relationship 101. We're not talking about difficult theological topics that we'll never get a grasp on. We're talking about dealing with conflict in a way that's constructive and building and not quarrelsome and tearing down. And when we all realize, when we walk into a situation, a conflict in particular, and we all have that internal admission, I may not be right. I may not be right. Instead of, they're wrong, and I'm going to convince them they're wrong, and if I have to, I'll yell louder, because that makes it right. Whoever yells the longest and loudest and last seems to be vindicated that they're right. An elder, an example, an ambassador that you have to oversee your church does not act that way. They act with patience and gentleness in the midst of difficult conflict. 
someone who is level-headed. It goes on to say, not a lover of money. It's someone who doesn't think that money is everything in life and that I need to be rich, and every decision in the church has to be based on money, 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 and everything that's lacking in church is because of money, 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 money. Money cannot be the driving factor in what makes this person tick. And you know there's people in your life that money seems to always come up, and it's usually either their lack of money or how much more money they have than you. Money should never be the sole deciding factor in this person's life that you look to as an example. Money is just one of many tools that God gives us to use to further his kingdom. Our voices and singing is one of the tools. And maybe we should focus more on those type of things than on how much money is in someone's checking account or how much it looks like they have money. And then uh, verse 4 and 5 um, are the same thing. They're talking about the same thing in these two verses. Uh, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a matter worthy of full respect. And then Paul qualifies that. So he needs to have someone who has his family life not perfect. It's not looking for perfect children or perfect spouse. But when you look at their family, you go, I can live that as an example. Not perfectly, but definitely is an example of what I aspire to be. And then he says why that is so important in verse 5. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Oh, that's a basic rhetorical question. You're right. I mean, if, if he can't do something on a small scale, how can you expect them to do it on a big scale? There might be 75 people here this morning. How can you expect an elder to be a good example, a leader, and someone who can troubleshoot if they can't do it for just two people at home? Right? You're not going to give someone more responsibility when they can't take care of a small responsibility. You never put someone as a general if they can't do the work of a sergeant. That just makes sense. You don't give more responsibility to someone until they have shown themselves, I can handle a small amount of responsibility. And Jesus has several parables about that, giving talents to some people, saying, how are you going to use it? You're not going to use it? Well, if you use it well, you get more. And so Paul basically says, the family unit is a small microcosm of what it's like to serve in a church environment as an elder. There's personalities, there's gifts and talents, there's challenges and conflict. Well, how do you resolve that with three people? If you can't resolve it with three people, how are you going to resolve it with 30 people? Or 50 people? Or 100 people? And we'd all look at that and go, well, yeah, that makes total sense. And so it is right and necessary when you think of, oh, should I be, should so-and-so be an elder, or what is their family dynamic like? Is there absolute chaos and rebellion and hate and anger, or is there an establishment of love and gentleness and peace within that family unit? He goes on and says in verse 6, and this is, again, this, is a this first qualification is one that doesn't match everybody, must not be a recent convert. Okay, and he gives us a reason why it cannot be a recent convert. Now, what is a recent convert? Is a year a recent convert? 
probably. What about two years? Is two years a recent convert? Maybe, but probably not in Paul's day. Two years probably was a seasoned veteran as a believer. So recent convert cannot have a specific time limit on it. Rather, Paul says, it's a character quality that's seen in this. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceit and fall under the same judgment as the devil. So, maybe the power goes to his head. So it can't be someone who simply is so young in the faith that they can't traverse normal Christian life. Some people come to that Christian maturity in a year. Some people come to that Christian maturity. Some people have a hard time coming to that Christian maturity after 30 years. Okay? So it's not a time factor. It's a maturity factor with the time God has given you. But I can tell you it's not someone who raised their hand that day and said, I'm a believer, let me be an elder. Oh, Paul says there's a challenge here. There needs to be some practice under your belt because you are first and foremost an example. An example. So you need to have some practice in your life. Not perfection, remember, but some competent maturity of practice in your life. So not a brand new convert. Goes on and says in verse uh, 7, must also have a good reputation with outsiders. And if you have these kind of character qualities, then obviously I'm going to have a good example, a good status with those outside the faith, so not to fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap, so that you don't be pinpointed as the hypocrite. So, let's take this home and apply it. First thing, all of us should strive for this kind of maturity, this kind of loving, this type of giving, this type of serving, this type of helping, this type of prayerfulness, founded on God's Word, we should all be examples. We should all be encouraging towards one another. Outside of those few things, all of this applies to you. All of it applies to you. Every one of us need to have competent maturity as we grow in the Lord. That's what growth is. Maturity in the things of the Lord. And we should have that more today than we did a year ago. We should have it more today than we had 10 years ago. It should be obvious we are growing and maturing in our Christian faith. Secondly, Calvary needs some of you men to step up and serve in this capacity. We need it. Right now it is myself and Sam. Two people for 75, 80, 100, and then, of course, before all this happened, there were uh, a lot more on a Sunday morning, but that is a lot of responsibility. In the Old Testament, one of the examples was every ten families, there should be someone, part of Israel, that gives them oversight and encouragement. One out of every ten families. And so I look around and I go, that means maybe it'd be great to have three other men step up and say, Tim, I think I'm called. I think I'm ready to serve. But Calvary needs leaders. Number three, asking that question, how do I know if I'm called to serve as an example to others in the role of elder? 
How do I know if I'm that person? First, you need to be called. And I know that that is an indescript word. That, that is an internal feeling. Maybe it's a nagging in your mind that you can't get out of it. Oh, he said it again. He talked about it. I've been thinking about this. And it just, it just stays on your mind. Maybe that's an indication that God, God wants you to serve in this role. Secondly, you need to be qualified. You need to have mature Christian growth that's noticed by others. Not that others are patting you on the back going, oh, you're the best prayer in the world. I mean, I, I can't imagine anyone more Christian than you. It's not that kind of maturity. It's where people go, well, yeah, it's obvious. So-and-so has a maturity about them in the Christian faith. They're stable. They're grounded. I'd like for them to show me how to do that in my life. So they need to be qualified. So you need to look through those things as well as in Titus chapter 1 and keep asking yourself, God, is this me? Is this me? Is this me? Ask them. Unreserved in wanting to follow Scripture above all things. If there was one qualification that I'd say kind of covers the whole gamut, it is someone who says, when it says this in God's Word, I will settle on it. Regardless of tradition, feelings, and pressure, if this is what God says, then this is what we do, this is what we believe, this is what we follow. And then lastly, because we're talking about Calvary, needs to be a person who loves the people of Calvary and committed to their growth. So it has to be someone who is committed to the people around you. And that should be our example to everyone. Everyone around us should see that example of Christ living through us. But I want to encourage you men that maybe God has been whispering in your ear for years, or maybe just now. If he's making that whisper known to you, and take the steps and see if God has not called you to serve at Calvary. Let's pray. Father, I know that this has taken a bit of time this morning, but Lord, you've put this passion on my heart to raise up leaders in your church, and I ask, Lord, that you would make that fulfilled. Lord, lead. Lead us all to be examples, but Father, lead those men who you are moving in their hearts to this role of elder, make it clear to them and abundantly clear to everyone else. In God's name we pray. All of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for being patient with me. I don't think I've ever gotten through 18 points in a sermon so shortly. Even though we're a bit over time, it's well worth it. It's the last Sunday of the year anyway. Everyone has the freedom to do it. Remember, it is a sunny, beautiful day outside with some clouds, so please take your conversations from inside the sanctuary to outside as soon as possible. Thank you very much, and see you next year. Bye.